0: everyone. Welcome back to Who's There? I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. If you're back for more, thank you for coming back. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan, because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. I'm super pumped because this week we have a horror scholar on the show named Chandler Bullock, our second guest named Chandler. Chandler is a Mississippi native but relocated to Europe when he was just 18 and is now writing his thesis in Amsterdam on emotions in horror movies from both the character's perspective and the viewer's point of view. Our conversation really goes deep into some horror classics and personally I learned a ton and I hope you do too. Chandler is also a writer for Morbidly Beautiful and Something Ghoulish, and he currently manages the most acclaimed horror-themed escape room in Western Europe. I know you'll love the academic perspective on horror films, so let's get into my conversation with Chandler. Hey Chandler, how are you?
1: I'm doing quite well. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, et cetera?
1: Sure, sure. So, yeah, my name's Chandler Bullock. I am originally from Mississippi. And I now live in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And I, uh, I have a lot of hats that I wear. I'm a manager at an escape room uh, that's horror themed. Uh, I'm working on a research master's in regards to film and literature and media in general and culture with a focus on horror because I, I like horror a lot. And for the rest, uh, you can find me, I write at something ghoulish and for morbidly beautiful and anywhere that will... Uh, pick up a pitch that I throw at them, basically.
0: Very cool. One of our past guests also um, writes for Morbidly Beautiful. His name oh. was his uh, Michael Benavidez. I don't know if you've ever...
1: I've seen the name on the, the list. I'm a very new writer there, so yeah. I have to get, <laughs> get to know everyone.
0: Totally. Uh, so, awesome. I can't wait to talk to you about all that. But first <laughs> things first, what's your favorite scary movie?
1: Oh, yes. I love that you come out swinging. Um, so, favorite <laughs> scary movie... There's so many. Uh, I'm going to go with, at the moment, I'm going to say the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to have to be my favorite. Uh, today, at least.
0: <laughs> <laughs> solid choice, solid choice. Thank
1: you. Um,
0: so I know that you said in a previous email to me that you were scared shitless of horror films until you're about 20 years old. So yeah. how did how did you first fall in love with this with the horror genre and at a, such a later age? And how did you develop a different outlook on the genre?
1: Right, uh, that's actually one of the reasons I was so attracted to your podcast as well, with talking to horror fans and getting to know them and show how much of a like an eclectic bunch we are uh i thought you know i've heard other people say in other podcasts too that they were scared so it got me the bravery um yeah i was terrified of everything as a kid um i was a little sheltered and uh i think uh, i was a bit overly sensitive i had adhd and didn't really know how to deal with it especially being the 90s so things just kind of stimulated me to the nth degree and horror movies of course would be just torture but it didn't take horror movies i remember when i was around i think i was around five or six somebody just told me the concept of the werewolf and I just wouldn't sleep. I was like, what? No, that's what? No, God. Uh, The idea of somebody turning into a wolf and like wolves are scary. I don't like that. Um, So I don't know exactly where the transition was, but I think it had to do with a lot of the movies that we had at home, because like a lot of families in the nineties, if you didn't have enough money to go out and buy all your movies or to go to the cinema all the time, uh, you, you know, got a tape and got a blank one through it in the VCR. And then if something came on TV, you just hit record as fast as you could. And maybe you missed the first 10 minutes of the movie, but you tried to do your best. And so we had our mixtapes basically. And on that, we mainly had stuff like the last starfighter, the never story and Beetlejuice was the one that I kept coming back to. So I think it was just the comfort film for me every single time I was bored just popped on Beetlejuice, and I wasn't on board anymore. And I think getting used to Tim Burton's world and and the kind of scary, spooky stuff that at first freaked me out kind of got me a little more into it. And I also was just a bit of a dreary child as well. I was always kind of into more of your, like, yeah, somber kind of (laughs) stuff. So very emo teenager as well. Um, and although I was still scared to death watching things like A Nightmare on Elm Street and, uh, I, like for instance, I don't think I saw The Exorcist until I was 19 because I was too scared to do it. I heard so many stories about how horrible it was. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, I've actually seen worse by now. Uh, <laughs> uh somewhere in high school when you're of age, uh, you know, we would go to the rental places and my mom was eventually like hey we have a deal i like to make use of the subscriptions that i have and i don't really have a lot of movies i need to see right now but we're allowed to do five older movies a week or we could do two the the new ones a week and so i just kept going to the horror section and catching up basically and that's where it all started was just me having a little personal project and trying to see as much of this stuff if there was a cover on it that freaked me out i was like let's see what's behind that cover um went from there.
0: (laughs) Cool. So how did you develop a different outlook on the genre eventually?
1: Yeah, I think that came way later. Um, I think that came a lot when I started to do my studies. And when I was doing my bachelor, I did American studies for my bachelor. And I already knew I wanted to focus a bit on film. But at the time, our film department, because uh, I studied here in the Netherlands, um, the film department was still half in Dutch. So they had like a general tract that was in Dutch, whereas all the film stuff was in English. So I'd asked, like, hey, can I do film as my minor? And that way I can still get those courses. And they're like, hey, kid, just, you know, take courses. We don't care. So <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Uh, so I took on too many <laughs> courses. And there they taught us with all the cultural theory of how to read films from different perspectives you know you learn a bit more about queer theory gender theory racial theories as well and and political readings of films and I didn't take to it immediately but I think over time it started to kind of sit in a bit and I challenged myself to say like okay can I watch a movie like say slumber party massacre and see a different sort of tale or story that's being told here than just what's on the surface and Doing that was just fun. It's like a puzzle. So I just kind of got into that. And then I started to realize, hey, you know what, this is some therapeutic stuff if you start to watch it this way.
0: Yeah, so cool. Um, everyone that comes on or like every other person talks about Slumber Party, Slumber Party Massacre. I don't know if that's a sign that I should watch it. I just feel like I will not like it because I'm not into that 80s slasher okay. type of film. So I it's-
1: very much that it's got that pulpy 80s almost like you know the kind of like jazzercise kind of vibe that you you get from the 80s yeah yeah but what i do love about it is to know that we have this wonderful kind of sleazy uh horror slasher that's made by a, a woman and to see what she decided to do with it in the 80s and it was just it's so batshit and i love that how she's like hey if we're gonna do a bunch of nasty sleazy sexist stuff We're gonna have so much fun with it and it's not gonna be sleazy from a male perspective. And so the fun outweighs the rest of it in that film. It's really kind of how like, you know, like your stereotypes of like softcore porn sometimes, how people will up the dialogue if you're doing a parody of stuff like that. That's kind of the vibe you get with a slumber party massacre of how everybody knows what movie they're making and you're just waiting (laughs) for the moment that it's like, oh no, please don't kill me, Mr. Mr. Killer,
0: you know? Uh, Okay, well- Depends on your mood. Maybe I'll see where I can find it streaming.
1: It's a great like flu kind of film. If you're already kind of having those like fever dreams and stuff, you might as well just put it on and roast in the bed, you know?
0: Could we say it's a COVID film then too?
1: Oh, I don't know. I I think I had COVID last March and uh, maybe if you catch it early on or if you're lucky. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) take care of yourself if you get COVID, seriously.
0: (laughs) I was diagnosed with it asymptomatically a couple of weeks back. (sighs) Um, I'd never had any symptoms and I don't know if I actually had it or if it was a false positive, but right, yeah, I just didn't have any symptoms. So I look, I guess I looked out there
1: for sure. I, I, when I think that I got it, they didn't have tests at the time. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, Hey, if you feel remotely like this, stay home. And I just remember it being like the worst pneumonia kind of stuff that you could possibly get, but then worse. It's kind of like pneumonia on top of a mountain. Basically, like no oxygen at wow. that point. Yeah, but fortunately, I didn't go to the hospital or anything. I just kind of stewed in our, our bed for a bit, and I think because I didn't, I never got a fever. That that kept me pretty okay. So it's a weird illness because everybody seems to show up a little differently than the rest. Yeah, but that's some real horror. Uh, our at our least fictitious you, horror. <laughs> at least
0: you live in a country where they were taking it seriously.
1: Uh, yeah, seriously enough, I'd say. I, there's still some work to do around here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you describe yourself as a horror scholar and you're studying it right now, specifically yep. focusing on emotions in horror films, both from the characters and the viewer and the viewer's point of view. Correct. Uh, what has that research been like?
1: That research has been enlightening and complicated. Because uh, it's a lot of philosophy that I have to research to do that. And it's stuff that when I first learned about it, I just stared at the teachers and thought, you're just making stuff up, and you're trying to just push your research onto us. And Half of that was true. He was definitely pushing a lot of his research onto us, but the fact that the university signed off on it meant that there was some merit to it. Um, there's a concept called phenomenology, which is the study of our experience with the world around us. So it's a very difficult thing to do because it's basically, it's an objective study of subjective experiences. And so instead of it being about say, so let's talk about fear, for instance we both know what fear feels like. Different things may scare us. So we don't talk about what's scary. We just talk about the feeling of fear. And by doing that, we can start to see what sort of filmmaking tactics are there and what properties of film cause this, generally speaking. That's why you know jump scares seem to have this kind of formulaic you know, structure to them that we can follow. And sometimes it can kill the fear or sometimes you play with it right you may catch somebody off guard and it'd be like the worst scare they've ever had in their lives, (laughs) you know? Uh, And again, it's always subjective. So, you know, somebody can look at an A24 movie and go, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. And somebody can tell me that Slumber Party Massacre is the scariest movie they've ever seen because it just hits the right way possibly. And we can't really say too much about what scares people. But if we start saying, well, when I'm scared, I feel this way. People go, Oh, yes. Oh, it's the worst feeling. And this, you know, just talk about the tension or the fact that your stomach feels empty, you get like a cold sweat, things like this. And it started there. And then this other this instructor started to teach more about the philosophy of emotions in general. And I really got into that because it kind of opens you up the more you talk about an emotion. Then you can start to see it in the films and then start to kind of empathize a little bit more with the situations in those films even if it's a bad movie you can just go i mean i wouldn't want to be involved you know? <laughs> so it can it, you know for yourself you can make everything just a little bit more enjoyable
0: uh speaking of a24 films um i had heard that when uh, audiences in sweden went to go see it they laughed because they thought it was a dark comedy whereas people oh, I here in the United States were like, that was so depressing. That was yeah. so fucked up. Um, that,
1: whew, you're talking about Midsummer, right?
0: Yeah. Midsummer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: God, that one, that one really, really fucked me up. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've had my own run-ins with similar relationships and I also had a bout of depression that was very similar to Danny's. So when she just has that kind of like Kind of crying throughout the whole movie. I just like was shaking in the cinema like, I get you, Danny. I get you. I hope you're better by the end of the movie. You know? Uh so when you get the ending that you get, you're just like, I don't know if I'm happy or not.
0: Yeah, (laughs) is it she's now the queen of the 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 death cult? Or
1: but where are the other May Queens? Yeah, Mm? that's true. That freaked me out the whole movie. It's like, I don't know if this is good for you.
0: (laughs) That's that's a good question. No one's ever asked that where are the other May Queens?
1: They show all those photos and you're like, but none of them are there. And yeah, they're,
0: they're and pregnant somewhere or dead.
1: Exactly. That freaked me out. I can imagine that, you know, the Swedes would find it just a hilarious satire <laughs> of their culture because a lot of it's true. I mean, I'm really into folk horror and I like old folk uh, superstitions and 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 uh, spirituality and a lot of it's pretty accurate. A lot of it's just complete film nonsense, uh, but the whole maypole and the appearance of things like oh yeah yeah they did the research on that and i would (laughs) laugh my ass off if i were swedish
0: (laughs) yeah um i actually just watched uh the movie the dark and the wicked have you seen that
1: i haven't seen it yet i I watched it
0: last night it made me feel like i felt the first time i watched hereditary except way
1: (sighs) way worse
0: yeah i mean i like hereditary now i've watched Mm -hmm. i've rewatched watched it twice um i don't get as like I mean, I'm a little tense when I watch it, but I'm sort of enjoying it because I just love Tony Collette so much. But but last night I was just like the sense of dread during that movie. I was...
1: Well, um, that sounds like my kind of thing, really. Yeah,
0: (laughs) definitely. You should definitely check it out if that's your kind of thing. I was also dealing with allergies, so that may have been why I was feeling extra terrible, but I just turned (laughs) it off. It's 90 minutes and it felt like it was three hours long. So, Ooh,
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's just just the pacing might just drag you through it and the the tension of this this atmosphere. I know how that feels. Yeah. yeah. But hey, if you compare it to Hereditary, that kind of gets me on board for sure. I've heard some talk about it, I just haven't I haven't seen a lot of modern horror films actually. I've been now ever since I started writing for something ghoulish and morbidly beautiful, I've been thinking more about, okay, are there observations that I've made that I want to write about? and then maybe a film that i saw in my childhood maybe there's something that i've been wanting to say about it and i get the opportunity to be like you know what sometimes we hold on to these thoughts that we think are just stupidly i'm the only person who ever feels this way and then i think okay that could be true (laughs) but at least i can put it out there and if some other person reads that and goes i never thought of it that way that's a great way to get a conversation to start and i think that's just been where my brain's been at is just seeing what's in the zeitgeist what's in people's minds and then older movies seem to keep popping up in my head Um, Mm -hmm. but i do need to catch up
0: yeah what what older movies have you been exploring
1: a lot of the friday the 13th movies i explored not too long ago Uh, i wrote a piece um, for the magazine we are horror i don't are you familiar with that one not no it's a great initiative actually that's uh been started by uh ryan larson and tyler liston um, let's see tyler's from hawk creek horror and ryan's working at bloody disgusting mm-hmm. and they wanted to give a platform that was dedicated at about 80 percent to uh women and uh bipoc writers lgbt writers uh, and, and new voices in the writing community who have a hard time getting through the door because they don't have like the click or the experience And so they're like, you know what? Let's just make a magazine on Patreon for that. And so you subscribe with your Patreon service and that's the way you get in. And they like personal pieces. And I put something for their third edition about uh, femininity in slasher films and how masks can kind of represent uh, these killers trying to act male, basically. Act all masculine because they're hiding the fact that maybe what they're afraid of from your final girls is that they're so overtly feminine that that's too powerful, you know? Something like that. It was my piece, and that got me watching a lot of slashers. Um, uh, recently, Prom Night 2, that's one I jumped into. Love that film.
0: My first guest, uh, Jody Webster, he loves that. He loves that movie. So.
1: Oh, I fell in love. It's the first time I got to see it, and I'm like, I have done myself a disservice to <laughs> see, like, the female Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that I haven't seen... Prom Night or Prom Night 2, because it's just, again, the 80s. But maybe I need to get over it and force myself. But also, I watched a lot of older horror back in, like, the summer, like, peak
1: mm-hmm.
0: quarantine. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't find The Exorcist scary. I didn't find Texas Chainsaw Massacre scary. Um, just, like, I don't find Halloween scary, I just, I think I saw all these things at too late an age when I had already seen so many other things that were so much worse.
1: Yeah, that could be. I mean, a lot of times you get these classics and you can see where a lot of the films you've already known came from and you yeah. can respect that. But I'd say, like with The Exorcist, for instance, if you've seen Insidious and Hereditary already, yeah. you have seen those elements of The Exorcist put to the highest caliber. Mm-hmm. So, you know hereditary's got the mood and the tone and the pace whereas insidious really has the the, the harsh soundscapes and then the, the dreary shadows and all that stuff in it so it's like well yeah i've been there done that um yeah i gotta say the exorcist i liked it when i first saw it but be being 19 as well i wish i'd seen it as a kid and just kind of like scarred myself up
0: <laughs> yeah no i i do too <laughs> i also saw poltergeist over the summer and i was like this is not this is so silly
1: Oh, I love Poltergeist. But again, 80s. I can imagine if 80s yeah. isn't like your, your jam. But hey, everybody has stuff that they're into. Uh, have you seen some like old classics from say like the 40s and 50s?
0: No, I don't think so. If Do you want to tell me some titles?
1: Uh, recently one I saw that's really great. It's called The Uninvited. It's a little harded, harder harder to get a hold of, I think. I think it's on the Criterion channel though.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, that one's a nice kind of It's a ghost story, but it has more of that woman in black, haunting a Bly Manor kind of vibe to it, so. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, I might like that then.
1: Yeah, it's it's spooky, that's what it is, (laughs) and very romantic. (laughs) Uh,
0: So you also think that horror is a great vehicle for exploring our our emotions, which I think many of our past guests would agree with. Can you tell me Mm -hmm. why you feel that way? And why you think that that leads to more positive social interactions?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. So we've already discussed Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, you know, I, I know for a lot of listeners like, Oh, there's Tom at least eight, eight twenty-four movies. And like, I'm sorry. Some of us like them because <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to another one. Uh, for me, a very good example was the witch. That was a movie that just with the themes of how Thomason breaks away from her environment and just finds herself basically, which I mean, you do have, just like you have in Midsummer. you have that question of like, do, did you really, or did you just take on another system around you? It's still that, that push, that fight, that I think that in horror, the, the genre explores those subtleties and those kind of unpleasant emotions that we go through in a way that most genres are afraid to do. Because if you're taking, say, a superhero film or a nice comedy or even most, you know, mainstream dramas, they're there for entertainment. First and foremost, these are big budget studio productions that want to make you kind of cathartic, a little bit of escapism. And so it's harder to push a narrative that is deeply unsettling and confronts you with things that would actually benefit you if you were to confront them, especially when it comes to knowing yourself, a lot of horror films are about people who struggle with their confidence really and it holds them back and you know a lot of your final girls for instance are those meek and mild virginal women who you think oh they seem as if they need to be sheltered especially the the very cliche ones in the 80s but the whole point of them being studied is the fact that by the end of the film they're the ones who are stabbing the killer and making sure that this stops and those sorts of stories I think are powerful enough that doesn't really matter what your background is it's a pretty universal language of empowerment and especially with things like depression it's just coping to a degree not that the film makes you cope but the longer you think about it the more you kind of see the similarities and i find that horror can really help people to see themselves in a way that films usually won't show you because they're not wanting to show ugliness basically Mm. and Social interaction. I mean, most of the social interaction that we have is us just trying to be the best version of ourselves. And we're talking to people and be likable, but you know, your real friendships are the people that you know, all their ugly bits. They know all your ugly bits and you love each other regardless. Like you can be like, I hate it when you do that, but you're the best person I know. But those are really difficult friendships to make, especially in in 2021.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's such a good answer. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, so you said you love Halloween. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you love it so much?
1: So Halloween for me was so special because as I mentioned, I had ADHD and, uh, anybody out there who's had ADHD or any other neurodivergency that gets you kind of stuck in patterns or makes you just focus on different shit than everybody else is focusing on you're going to be called weird or you're going to be asked why aren't you paying attention or things like that and well you know we like what we like and being into horror being into those things i liked dressing up i liked not being seen i love the idea of just putting on a mask or putting on makeup and just fitting in with everybody else for one night all of them Got on my level, I didn't get on theirs, which was so nice for an ADHD kid. Uh, And so for me, Halloween was like the most comfortable damn day of the year. Of me just essentially, sometimes I was just wearing pajamas, just walking down the street in my Beetlejuice pajamas with some makeup on my face. And I don't know, I loved it because of that. You, it's also a time that when you're younger, you spend more time with your parents. You walk down the street. I mean, going for a walk—that's the thing. I, I don't think, especially. In the south where it's hot and muggy all the time you don't do that very often you stay in the air conditioning or you lounge uh (laughs) maybe you're gonna go to do something really really active but uh just walking down the neighborhood and like well you got guns and stuff you don't want to do all that all the time so but halloween then let's go trick-or-treating let's go for a neighborhood walk and get to know the neighbors and i loved that and being someone who left their home rather young i you know i moved when i was 18 for me, it was one of the major and few things of being American that I always held on to. Like I've never been patriotic in a sense of I will always be American in my heart. I, I will always be me in my heart, and what makes me American is that it's it's really Halloween. I I'm, I don't know if you can see it, but. I have a tattoo sleeve I'm working on that has just a bunch of Halloween tattoos. Like, yeah, I have a, like a witch somewhere up on my upper arm and and just fun like a a mummy on my elbow. And I just want to commemorate it that way. And also, I think it's, it's got that silly part of horror that I enjoy, you know, it's not always just the blood and the guts and the depression and stuff. Sometimes it's really just, Hey, you know, those universal monsters were kind of silly sometimes. And didn't we just love to see them on (laughs) Scooby-Doo? So it's kind of like your Scooby-Doo moment. It's Halloween.
0: Very cool. Um, are Halloween celebrations different in, in the Netherlands? Do they exist? I don't know if it's as big as a holiday in there.
1: It's not really much a holiday, if I'm honest with you. Uh, there was a woman here that ran a company called Amsterdam Spook that was dedicated to making a big Halloween party every year. Which is cool. she's Canadian, so I already was very impressed with her wanting to do it. <laughs> and I got involved with that a couple times, but she's recently moved to be a cat mom for a cat sanctuary, uh, which <gasps> is a very noble practice.:
0: <laughs> My dream life.
1: Oh, it's amazing. Uh, my mom used to work at a cat sanctuary, <gasps> and uh, they had something like 2,000 cats in one enclosure, like this huge like three-acre area, and they'd call the cats and you just have this stampede. I'm running at you. I'm just. It was
0: living the dream.
1: Living the dream, and also being a little terrified of uh, the claws coming at you. But <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of here. There are a lot of expats like myself who are trying to make it more of a thing. I know that you know the uh, the escape room I work at is a horror themed escape room. It's very story focused and we try to do things around halloween at least promote a little harder and like hey there's no better place to go than our game <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's more so in the uk I'd say that they might do some stuff but in the netherlands they're like man just yeah. maybe you'll have your fun adult party you know
0: <laughs> that's cool so that leads into my next question you work at and the most acclaimed escape room in western europe you said can you tell me a little bit more about that escape room, escape room, and what it's called, where it is, et cetera.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I have to be a little secretive. It's part oh. of our uh, bread and butter, but I can give you names and stuff. And yeah, it's. Uh, I would, with confidence, say at least the most acclaimed horror escape room in Western Europe. Uh, we we have some competition for in general sometimes, but uh, people seem to enjoy us at the horror uh, scale. It's called the Amsterdam Catacombs, and we have the ability to play it both in person in Amsterdam. It's, uh, it's an actual kind of underbelly of a cathedral here in Amsterdam. So when you go, we take you into the cathedral and drag you down into the depths and hope that you can manage and survive with what we have planned for you. Because what we've done is we've made sure it's kind of like a haunt, but it's more like, so if you take a general escape room, you do have puzzles but we think that escape rooms that just have puzzles and nothing else are garbage. So uh, there's nothing worse for our feeling as puzzle designers and storytellers than walking into a room and just seeing a bunch of triangles and different colors and going, what, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> you have know? done in uh, a
0: so, safe room once in New York City and yeah, it was a bunch of puzzles and I was like, I don't understand anything.
1: Yeah, if there's no rhyme or reason, who gives a shit, right? And so we're like, what if we made you understand the story of what happened in this place and then we give you a scenario and a mode motive- of... Motivation as to why you need to get out of there. So we up the lore of the place to let you know of the dangers that are there. And of course, you're going to get stuck and then it's do or die. You need to get out. Uh, So that's when the scares start to kick in and we kind of distract you while you're trying to do your puzzling. And we make sure that you get a full story too. We don't just you know come in like, oh, better luck next time. Like really, if you fail, uh, let's just say you don't want to fail at our escape room <laughs>
0: oh, that's so
1: it's, ominous <laughs> it's well good that's, uh, that's what i hope <laughs> what is fun though is we also have the ability to run this online so no matter where you are in the world if you are awake at a time that we are running things and we do run times for uh the united states to make sure that people all the way in la can get a, an escape room in before say you know, not so they can at least wake up later than 11am to do it. (laughs) Um, That's fun. We have a slight variation to the story to make sure that the person that you're interacting with through our camera isn't just some silent person doing things for you. They're actually a full fledged character. And we've turned it into a kind of a found footage horror film that you get to interact with.
0: That's so cool. Oh, I'll have to look that a up a few times that you have available that I could do.
1: Oh, yeah. Let me know. Let me know if you want to do that, because uh, I, I do have a, a couple of my my management discounts I can throw to people. I, I, I Gladly, since you know, this has been a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Uh, do you like fan footage horror movies?
1: I love it. I think it's one of the most underrated genres. I would love to analyze it a little bit more. I don't give it as much attention as I'd like to. Um, but knowing a few other people in uh, the circles I'm in, there's uh, one woman, uh, Mary Beth McAndrews, who for me is kind of the authority on found footage. Uh, you should definitely check her out on Twitter. If you want to know okay. uh, a, a passion for found footage, um, she names films all the time. So I'm like, I, f- I did not know that that was a thing. Cool. Uh, but yeah, I think also like uh, the Blair Witch Project was one of those movies that I think transitioned me into being able to deal with horror because it, It just fucking destroyed me the first time I saw it.
0: (laughs) That's what so many people say. (laughs) I
1: I mean, I was the right age. See, it came out in 99, so I was around, I don't know, 13, something like that. And I saw it on a VHS tape. (laughs) It was just the perfect combination of things. And for there to be very little action in this film, it made me realize that persuasion and suggestion are horribly just terrifying things that you can do to people
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i was the right age too i was 13 and i saw it in theaters at night Oh, lucky yeah um it was a cool experience but my friend and i we were like we left and we're like that's it that wasn't scary yeah
1: if you're looking for something big and explosive, it's not the movie that's gonna do that for you.
0: Yeah, um, but I I like I love what it did for the genre and it kind of started the found footage thing, even though it wasn't the first one. But yeah. Um, what are your favorite yeah. found footage movies?
1: I'm I'm, I don't know what this is going to do to my cred with a lot of people, but I'm kind of a paranormal activity apologist. I,
0: <laughs> I love those movies.
1: Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> There's so many people who like to trash on. I'm like, I don't know. The first three are kind of masterpieces and, and really need to be analyzed to hell, especially three with some of the effects that they pull off of that movie.
0: Which is number three.
1: Three is the one where it's the prequel. So it's the VHS tapes from the 80s when uh, the woman from the first movie is a kid.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: It's the one that uh, has like the sheet ghost and stuff in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah that
1: one, whoo. I, I think just the ingenuity. I actually got the pleasure of being in a found footage film uh, in 2012. Oh, which one? And, oh, nobody's seen it, uh, but it's called Vigilance. Okay. and it was an attempt to create a found footage movie that was based off of the superhero craze at the time since the dark knight rises was coming out and stuff like that and so this director had the idea of like why do we focus on things like telekinesis and big effects uh, of ghosts and stuff when you could do something like a batman kind of a story and get a camera crew involved in that kind of stuff so we tried it it was very um ambitious on some of our parts but i will say it was handled very professionally i had a lot of fun doing it um i have a bias to dislike it because i'm in it but <laughs> uh it's uh if you ever see it it's on itunes vigilance 2014 or 20 uh, yeah i think it's 2014 was it was released and um to see how those things are made is quite entertaining and fun uh we just had like a canon uh camera you know one of those uh you know mirror reflex cameras and just ran around uh, Amsterdam and created a fuss, (laughs) basically. Um,
0: That's so cool. That's so cool. I'll have to check it out on iTunes. Um, Have you been in any other horror movies?
1: I have not. I was in one small feature that I don't think is going to get released because it got pirated like really hard during its production phase. Mm -hmm. It's called Time Will Tell. That was meant to be a kind of, I think they called it a magical, like a magic realism film. So it was more about kind of, Bridging fantasy with science fiction and in in modern day stuff and I had a small role in that but My I've done a lot of acting but it's mainly been theater and and improvisation and things of that nature And our escape room right now a lot of acting
0: (laughs) Have since you've been living in Europe for a number of years um, Have you ever been to London to see the woman in black on stage?
1: Yes have you seen it?
0: Yes I saw it back in 2007 when I was studying abroad
1: Oh Oh, it's such a good play. Uh, it's one of those that I hate that I've never been able to do. Like, Yeah, that's an actor's play right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I recently saw the 1989 film, and that it's amazing was, yeah. to me. Oh, it's great. I think it's a BBC film,
0: okay. and it
1: just recently got a Blu-ray release uh, in the UK. I don't know if it's a region-free Blu-ray or not, but if anybody has a region-free player, you can get the, the Blu-ray for it and DVD. It's the adaptation of that book and honestly it's so good because it's pretty much an adaptation to the play the okay. amount of those you know those moments when they're sitting on the baskets and they're kind of pretending to be on the horse yeah. and carriage and stuff they clearly reference those moments by making the horse and carriage just shake so much and their their bodies sway together the way they do in the play and i was very impressed i was very happy with that
0: cool have okay. you seen any other horror plays or musicals
1: i've I wish. No, uh, I remember Ghost Stories was playing when I was in London, uh, not the last time, but one year and I chickened out and I think we watched, uh, I want to say we watched like the Book of Mormon instead or something. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really fun. Uh, I, I've been in a fair few myself, but I haven't seen a lot of horror plays, but that's also, and it says enough about how many horror plays are actually put on. Yeah. It's a bummer.
0: Yeah. Um, I do know at the Edinburgh of- at the Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival several years mm-hmm. back, um, they did they mounted "Let the Right One In," and then it came to New York. Oh yeah, so I, I did
1: see that. Yes, yeah. I saw that one in London. Uh, unless maybe it wasn't Edinburgh that I saw it. Actually, it wasn't at the Fringe, but I saw it possibly in Edinburgh itself. That was a great production.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Have you seen that one yourself as well?
0: Yes, I saw it when it was Good. in London
1: yeah oh you're we're lucky people because they're not going to revive it ever as far as i know
0: know. yeah that that is just not i think everyone who wanted to see it it back in 2014 saw it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah that was a pilgrimage for me when i saw that was coming out i was like i need to find a reason to be in the area that this is playing yeah (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) fast yeah
0: um yeah i love there's also the parody musical for silence of the lambs which is really great really
1: Okay, no, I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah, you can find that score on Spotify. Okay. So and Heather's also, which is sort of horror, but yeah, there are so
1: many that stayed in the United States that I never got a chance to see. Like you had the Evil Dead musical, uh, Reanimator was another one I really wish I could have seen. I did catch the production of The Exorcist in London as well.
0: Oh, uh, I didn't. I did not see that. No,
1: that was awesome. <laughs> they did a nice. It's kind of how uh, have you seen Doctor Sleep? Yes. Okay, so you know how that one is an adaptation of the book, Dr. Sleep, but also a sequel to Kubrick's Shining, in a way. That's kind of how they did the play for The Exorcist, that it was an adaptation of the book, but they knew that they wouldn't get away with not having some movie moments in it. So they have the Tubular Bell soundtrack, and uh, yeah, a few of the lines are the same, but the house looks different, the actors look way different, and their extra scenes of like, I think they have a full possession scene with the demon talking to Regan before, uh, like actually asking for permission to possess her. It's a terrifying scene. Oh, wow. And it's Ian McKellen that plays Pazuzu.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I think I remember reading about that when it was in London. And I was like, oh, I hope they bring that here.
1: I wish they had. <laughs> I wish more people had seen it.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe after COVID. Please.
1: Yes, I think we could all use a bit more Exorcist in our lives after COVID. I think it's a nice little comfort horror movie.
0: <laughs> do you have any favorite horror directors?
1: Oh, do I? Uh, Mike Flanagan's going to be on the top of that list these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man makes me cry just about every time he makes anything. So, yeah, if you can bring me to tears with your horror, then uh, I'll probably torture myself and love it. <laughs> so. Um, hitchcock i think is one of those directors that needs to be named as well just how there's a lot of his films you know a lot of those films you'd be surprised how adjacent they are with horror you know most people just think of psycho and maybe the birds but even something like rope has a lot of horror elements to it which is really well done and i i can't answer a favorite director's list without saying guillermo del toro that's uh <laughs> That's my love right there. <laughs> cool. For sure.
0: Um, how often do you watch horror films and what was the last one that you watched?
1: Oh, you know, I think that last part might actually be harder to answer. Uh, the frequency has gotten higher just because of all the writing that I've been doing and trying to finish up this uh, master's as well. I need to work on my thesis soon. And so it's about every other day. I'm probably picking up some horror movie or another you know i have a shutter account and a vpn so i'm either picking up shutter or i'm catching a blu-ray for five bucks and then i don't care what it is i'll buy it and i'll watch it or we'll watch <laughs> netflix or something and the last one i watched i think was the woman in black i think that was the last one i, I checked out
0: awesome yeah i love gothic horror the woman in black um Oh, do you mean the most recent one with Daniel Radcliffe or No,
1: the 89 one. The
0: 89 version. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That the Daniel Radcliffe one was good, but I don't know. I feel like I agree. Got a little cheesy.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that they it was really nice to see Daniel Radcliffe get out of the typecasting that he was being shoved into at the time. <laughs> and for that, I really loved it, but this 89 one actually made my girlfriend and I just like we actually screamed at one point. It got <laughs> us. It got us. <laughs> so. Awesome.
0: Uh, what's, your, what's your thesis about?
1: I okay, I have changed topics so many times. I'm probably about to change it again just because <laughs> uh, I had a bit of a sabbatical in between things I actually started my MA back in, I think, 2013 or something. But uh, due to some personal reasons, I had to take a break on it. And my first topic was to analyze how the wilderness is used in American horror films <laughs> to treat it like a landscape of the worst things that could possibly happen. So then you're, you know, I, cause my, my BA was American studies focused a lot on American history and, and culture. So we did analyze a bit about how the, pilgrims and immigrants treated the indigenous cultures and landscapes and how that has never really changed from being just ground zero for demons and terror and things we don't understand because we come from so many different cultures in america that even 200 years later there's something within us if we're descendant from those cultures that we look at these animals running around and we're like that doesn't make any sense this is like i don't know this is a creepy place so something about that apparently seems to have stayed within us and you know, look at a movie like The Witch, where you just get those wide shots of the woods staring at them. Yeah. But then I realized I don't really know a lot of anthropological stuff. And I needed to, you know, at the time I was like, I need to do this quickly. And that was way more work than I think I was prepared to do. So currently I'm kind of focused on <laughs> so as I mentioned with phenomenology, you know, it's the focus of the emotions we have and how they manifest. But it's also about your physical engagement with the world around you and the things that your body does it's this feeling of for instance like crying we also analyze the physical parts of it what does it mean to you know have to, to produce tears to have your face get all scrunchy things like that you know get all flushed and blushing while you're crying i was focusing on laughter in horror films because i don't know about you but one thing that can really piss me off is if you're watching a horror film that's either really scary or just really moving and then somebody's just like, <laughs> at the moment that it really shook you up. And you're just like, how dare you invalidate my emotions like this? <laughs> and so I started, it started for me just being kind of mad about it to suddenly thinking, you know what, this would be a great study to see if there's actually different reasons and modes of laughter in those moments. Because I've caught myself laughing just because the, the shock was so high that I didn't scream. I laughed instead. It's it like my body was laughing at the fact that I got so scared. And then I started to appreciate it. Kind of like, you got me. <laughs> kind of a laughter. And I, it's kind of where I am now. I might change it a little bit um, just because of some other topics that I've studied in the last couple months that they're fresh. So they always kind of like drift my brain in one direction or the other.
0: Cool. Have you been watching any pandemic horror movies during
1: the- uh as in like about pandemic stuff?
0: No, just like, uh, 28 days later or outbreak.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. No, not, not so much. Actually. I, I, I remember when the pandemic started, that was a very popular thing. And I just, I don't know. It. I was freaking, I was like, I don't know. Uh, I have ADHD. I don't like change. So I'm like, <laughs> um, everything's getting weird and changey. I don't think I want to watch that, that, um, The closest I think I got was host because they do, you know, it does take place during the pandemic. Um, But it's never been a genre that really pulled me in either. I did watch things like outbreak when they came out, Um, but yeah, I don't know why it's never really appealed to me.
0: Yeah, no, that's totally understandable. There have been two camps of people on this podcast the the people who are firmly in the, no, it's too real. And the people who are in the, yes, I'll watch it. Why not? I need to prepare.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's great. That's one of the powers of horror is you can just, (laughs) it's like a survival guide book. Sometimes depends on what you're afraid of. There is a movie that will teach you how to deal with it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, is there any Dutch lore that you've learned about since living there that you can share? And are there any haunted landmarks that you've been to in Amsterdam?
1: Oh, oh, that's a great question. Okay. (laughs) I wish I had a good answer though. Um, one thing that has always bothered me in the netherlands is there aren't a lot of ghost stories and creepy lore around here i would say you're you're more likely to get like your fairy folk if anything but this has been a very pragmatic country i don't know if you know a lot about the netherlands but like you know and uh new york was built to be a kind of remake of amsterdam
0: no new amsterdam
1: exactly and think you know they say that it was sold for 24 dollars. just because the reason for that is they went in to get beaver pelt because it was very valuable in europe and they killed all the beavers so they're like this is not valuable land anymore we don't care and they just left and so that's the attitude of the dutch with just about everything um uh i do recall i'm trying to recall it now there was a story one of my colleagues told me about like in her house about uh they did say that there's a haunting in her particular house about a woman who had a relationship that her, I think it was her husband, ended up having an affair with her sister. And so she ended up killing them both and they found her mad inside the house, just kind of raving because nobody really knew where she was. And they came asking like, where's your sister? And they couldn't find her. They couldn't find her. And apparently there's like a kind of like a cistern just right outside in a square. And when they checked there, she had been rotting there for about three months. And they say that, uh, at least what she told me is around her house, they can still like hear the kind of like crying down where that cistern used to be. And that in her house, like doors and stuff will just kind of latch open and you hear Mm -hmm. footsteps as if people haven't stopped living there. And those are the things you're going to get your small ghost stories, but. The spooky lore, you're gonna wanna go to the UK for that, uh, France. I think places that have a lot of revolutions and stuff, you're gonna get it. Um, I've seen some really weird shit though, especially when I was in uh, Ireland. I went to get a tattoo in Dublin. And when we were there, we were sitting with this uh, tattoo artist uh, who had, we found out it was a private studio, but we thought it was just like a tattoo shop. Very well decorated, really nice. We went upstairs. She had like an arcade game while you're waiting and the music's playing. Sat down, I got my stencil on, we're about to do the tattoo. And I was like, hey, I got a question for you. And she's like, yeah. I was like, so how many people are working today? She's so like, oh God, not again. And then I said, well, that's a weird response to my question. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? She said, okay, uh, you're starting to freak me out because she was convinced that the place was haunted. Mm. And she's done a lot of research on it. I was like, okay, but what does my question have to do with that? She's like, this is a private studio, but people keep telling me they feel the presence of other people or they hear people walking up and down the stairways talking to each other when there's nobody else here. Mm -hmm. She started to list off this whole long ghost story about this uh, ghost that she started to call Fred. Just, it was funny. They're like, hey, Fred, leave us alone. Apparently he would, uh, you know, they would see shadows in the hallway or... She had a standing mirror that she kept at the end of the stairway. And one day she went to go down the stairs, and she saw the mirror was placed on its side, on the floor. She's like, okay. She picked it back up, put it back where it was. She went back upstairs. It was placed on its side again. And then she's like, ding dong, something at the door. She goes to the door and there's a little old lady who's at the door. And she's like, yes, hello. And the little old lady says, oh, he just wanted me to tell you that he keeps setting it down because he's afraid it's going to fall. She's like, who are you and why are you telling me this? Uh, as she's telling this to us, there's like this little ornament on her windowsill. No wind, no windows open, no fans on, nothing like that. It just was as still as could be and it went Whoop, and flew off of the, the banister. So uh, we had a bit of a Fred experience while I was getting tattooed, which is fun. Um, so I would say Europe in general, if you want some of that spooky stuff, I'd highly advise anybody who... Uh, has ever wanted to do the trip, and when it's safe to do it again, uh, come down get get your spookies because we've got plenty of them over here. But I don't think Amsterdam is going to be the place for it. There's too much uh, of the living living energy going on around here.
0: <laughs> oh, those those two stories are super creepy though. So
1: Oh good, <laughs> happy <laughs> so, to share.
0: So last summer there was an article that came out that said that horror movie fans are handling lockdown better than non horror movie fans. Why? Right. Do you- yeah. Movies?
1: I think that that might be due to what we were kind of talking about earlier, you know, the empathy that horror fans can get from horror. It's not to say everybody gets that. I know plenty of horror fans who just watch it to have something on, basically, and they don't really engage with it very deeply. Um, You can also tell based on people's tastes as well, why they're watching a horror film just you can with any other genre. But I think, because we are more susceptible to sitting around and for entertainment purposes dealing with emotions that aren't necessarily pleasant to deal with, when something really heavy and negative like this comes along, we go through the same processing that we would when we're trying to process a movie that's upset us. And it doesn't mean that it, you need to have that superpower or something as a horror fan so like just for anybody who's listening if you're a horror fan you're like well that doesn't apply to me this has been my worst life ever that's okay you know it's nobody's I don't feel that that's something that's a prerequisite I just think it could be an explanation for the phenomenon if statistically speaking people have cited horror as their go-to if they've been coping a little bit better Um, maybe a lot of us are just recluses and we don't leave house I think that can also be something else
0: (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) How do you decide what to watch when you're looking for a horror movie to watch?
1: I don't know about you, um, if you agree with this or not, but that is one of the hardest things to do in life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I sit for like an hour <laughs> going through the different streaming uh, services, and you know you can find like five movies that you're like, yes, I would like one of these, and then you don't want to watch any of them uh, by the time that you've like sat down for a while. So sometimes it's really just forcing yourself to sit down and watch one and other times i just go with my mood if i know that i'm in that gothic horror setting and feel um then i just kind of think about what is it about those movies that i'm really in the mood for and i'll look for that a little bit and some days it's kind of like yolo i haven't seen this as watch it (laughs) but uh it's a it's a variety also of course work will force it (laughs) in my case
0: Cool. Uh, Since you like gothic horror, do you like the movie The Others?
1: I do. Uh, It's been a while since I've seen it. I want to watch it again soon. I remember really enjoying it when it came out, unlike a lot of people my age. (laughs) Uh, And it was a little slow. I'll give it that. For me, it was a bit slow, but I remember the trailers just made me too terrified to want to go watch that movie because just the idea of ghosts in an old mansion with nicole kidman was enough to make me like oh no i don't know um but i do i do really enjoy that movie um i i mean do you do we talk spoilers here or do you yeah, like to no, look I mean, carefully
0: i mean i think it's 21 years old so if you haven't seen, it, <laughs> get
1: ahead that's a it. fair point fair <laughs> point uh you know that, that twist at the end when you find out that they've been dead this whole time and. I really love the meshing of modern day with this old Victorian story. It was uh, kind of like the village, but then done very, very well. And before it's time. So yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the others?
0: I rewatched it a couple of months ago when actually my last guest named Chandler. Um, it's her favorite horror film. Um, I rewatched it b- after we had spoken and I was like, yes, it is kind of slow, but when the twist comes it's just like a roller coaster like everything is just coming at you so i think it's i think it's great i like it a lot and i think it's still really creepy and like my heart was pounding the entire time
1: so yeah exactly creepy is my my jam and i i love that the description you mentioned yeah when you get to that ending in the roller coaster aspect that's just a genre in itself i think i think a lot of the movies that people Find a bit divisive is exactly that. That it's a movie that's like a roller coaster. They're just doing that ascension yeah. way longer, and the drop is just way heavier if you let it.
0: Yeah, like Hereditary.
1: Yes, like Hereditary. There's a lot of drops in Hereditary though. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, have you had any noteworthy experiences seeing a movie in theaters?
1: Um, in general or horror specific?
0: Horror specific.
1: Horror specific. Uh, one of the most fun experiences for me was seeing Bride of Chucky when it came out in cinemas and uh, I'm from the South and uh, it was in a rather, uh, it, it was not a like suburban area that we went to. So it was one of our more just kind of like almost rural kind of small cinemas. I think we had about maybe six people who were in the audience for this movie and I was kind of getting into horror i think i was more just i was a screen fan so you know chucky kind of drew me in at the time it's like cool is one of the first movies i got to see in the cinema. So i was like hell yeah let's do this It was wild, so wild. It was the classic of like, girl, don't go in that room. You know, people screaming, ah, no, he's gonna get you. And the movie being as funny as it was just, I think it was the most boisterous, fun, jovial audience I've ever been with (laughs) of just the classic throwing the popcorn at the screen. I think somebody brought a roll of toilet paper (laughs) and we just went nuts I had so much fun. That was one of my highlights uh, for cinema screenings.
0: Oh, that's cool. so a lot of movies got postponed last year due to the pandemic. Cool. Which one are you most upset that has been postponed?
1: Candyman, 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 Candyman. All right, well. Cannot wait.
0: Well, you can't post the link to this episode when it comes out because you'll be dead.
1: Oh, I know. I'll, I'll stay away from the mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. No, that one, just everything about the vibe from it. Um, you know, I love the... Stuff that Jordan Peele's kind of curating and putting out there. And the first Candyman's great, it's wonderful, but it did always feel like a movie that would have been really, really elevated if you had proper production behind the scenes with Black voices making that. So to know that Nia Costa got to do this and Jordan Peele's producing it. And then if you know the original and you see all the little hints that they have in the trailer, that I think they did exactly what people had wanted in a sequel for this movie for a very long time. And I liked the fact that it looks like one of those complicated uh, requels, if you will. Like it's it's a Candyman for a new generation, but it's totally linked to the original one if you look for it. Oh, it okay.
0: All right, cool. Um, no, I do, I have seen the original and I do like it, but I didn't know about like the connections that were hidden. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to look into that after.
1: Oh, yeah. Check out the trailers and really keep in mind uh, that original movie and you'll start seeing the little breadcrumbs.
0: Uh, Okay, cool. Um, So are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like or any unpopular horror movie opinions that you hold?
1: Oh, okay. I might hold off on the unpopular opinions because mine are like atomic sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But a film that I adore that I know is not a good movie. I don't care if it's a good movie. It's still one of my favorite movies. Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> uh, that one, so Friday the 13th in general as a franchise is already considered kind of like the Jethro of uh, slasher <laughs> genres. You know, it's like it's an acquired taste, it's considered very low brow. And I will give people that. It doesn't really take itself overly seriously, which is good in my opinion. I think they're really good, simple films. Jason Takes Manhattan is just considered by most to be the most deviously bad one of the bunch depending on who you ask some people would say five would be just because it doesn't have jason in it but this one i think is far better than people give it credit for and people are just pissed off that it says jason takes manhattan and most of it takes place on a boat (laughs) you know production was really screwed up in that movie and most of your kills take place on this little yacht and then maybe you get 20 minutes of manhattan which is actually toronto um and i get it you know but for all of its faults i love that movie i love how ham-fisted it is uh something about just jason being mad and wet the whole film just is entertaining as hell to me um and you know I, i i am very much into the 80s aesthetic stuff so for me i think if any if anybody's really into that it's just one of those movies that is that? It's one of those few ones that I don't know if you, if you feel this way, if you have like a particular time period that you're into, but you discover that a lot of the stuff that is from that time period doesn't really hit the stereotype that's in your head sometimes, or at least the, the atmosphere and the vibe. Every now and then you'll find the ones you're like, this is what we're thinking of. This is it. And with 80s cheese, I think of Jason Takes Manhattan, but people try to really take me to task on that all the time. <laughs> uh, and I will not budge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'll have to try watching it at some point i've never seen it i've seen one three and four and i think they're okay so many, but yeah you
1: know. oh so much this is on another level because we're talking like so if you've seen four you know how that one ended and so to think how does jason do anything after that movie <laughs> well it, it's wild <laughs> they stopped caring let's oh. just put it that way they really stopped caring by this point and <laughs> i was happy that they did
0: so what are some of your unpopular horror opinions
1: okay i'm just gonna get out here and do it i don't think i've even said it on twitter but i (laughs) i do not think that aliens is a very good sequel i don't really love that movie and people adore it i think it's a fine action film don't get me wrong i think if i were to watch it in a vacuum it's a good james cameron movie i just don't think james cameron knew how to make a sequel to alien that's how it felt to me because alien 3 the assembly cut not the theatrical cut uh um, the quote-unquote director's cut of that movie i really enjoyed i love it because i think it took a lot of what the original movie was going for and amplified it stretched it out explored a bit deeper the themes and aliens i really get behind and i appreciate but i don't know i find the movie pretty boring <laughs> and i i <laughs> i've i've had a lot of angry conversations with people about it because they think that i'm coming at that i'm like hey whatever love what you love i just don't think that your love uh, is is my love i also didn't like 2018's halloween very much either and i feel very alone
0: oh <laughs> uh, why didn't you like it
1: i there's a tonal problem for me with that movie uh I think it's, well, okay, so, you know, in in the whole Star Wars fandom, you have the debate about The Last Jedi, whether it was a good movie or a bad Star Wars movie, and um, the people that I knew who really, really, really adored it for particular reasons claimed it was because it was the most Star Wars movie they'd ever seen, and I think that's the most contentious thing that people kind of debate about, which made me realize, oh, everybody gets something different out of Star Wars, because that particular statement I didn't agree with. Uh, I could see the craft and shit in the film but I'm like, oh okay it wasn't for me Halloween 2018 was the same when they're like we're going back to form we're going to make it much more true to its roots I felt that it actually felt a lot more like the sequels that we already had than it did the original Halloween other than it coming as a direct link from Halloween and following Lori's story and kind of getting away from more of the cheesy you know it was his sister stuff um, but I did feel some of the humor in it was just tonally, I would feel more at home in a Friday, the 13th movie than in a Halloween movie for my feeling. I I think that Halloween is a genuinely scary film at times. If you just sit back and think, how would I deal with this crazy calm guy walking around? And I don't know he's there. And he just walks up to you and stabs you to death. Like that's just like, ugh, like home invasion of that level is just, Oh my God. And that, You see how easy he does it in the first film because yeah, it's Halloween. He's just going to walk in and do it. Those moments I thought were effective in the remake, but basically anything that wasn't Laurie hunting Michael, if it was just like her granddaughter and and the teenage stuff kind of felt like it had that 40-year-old dude writing teenagers vibe to me that a lot of the sequels had that I was very alone in feeling, I think. (laughs) Uh, But that's just me. I just, I don't know. I, I wanted to love it more than I did. I'm looking forward to Halloween Kills, though. I'm not off-put at all about that. I love hearing about what they're going to do with it, and I'm really excited to see what's coming next.
0: Yeah, me too. I did like Halloween 2018. I, in fact, liked it more than Halloween from 70. Fair. But, yeah, that, I just like more action. And in the original Halloween, there just wasn't much.
1: That's so. fair, you know? Uh, and if that's what you're looking for, then you get a more slashery kind of a slasher in yeah. Halloween 18 uh, 2018. That might be why. Maybe, you know, maybe it'd be correct to say that Halloween's still more of like a proto slasher than a slasher. Cause it's more kind of like a psychological thriller with yeah. some slashy elements in it. <laughs> um, if, out of curiosity, what's like your favorite time period and genre for horror?
0: I don't know. I have listed on my Letterboxed profile as my favorite movies that would be considered horror are Scream, Cloverfield, and... Uh, the Ring.
1: Okay. So. Oh, eclectic. I love it. <laughs> nice mix.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Scream is the first horror movie that I really remember watching. Mm-hmm. I like the, you know, the cold open just scared the shit out of me. So. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. And it
0: never gets old. So it's still chilling whenever you watch it, even though I know what's going to happen.
1: Oh, I totally agree. It's, I think it's because the whole movie is so fun and we're so yeah. used to the fun of Scream that we forget how dark and brutal the opening of that film is mm-hmm. uh you, you we think of the what's your favorite scary movie stuff and we're like oh yeah that was really fun and then when they start killing her we're like oh god this this yeah. went there yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um so if you could remake one horror movie which one would it be
1: um if i could remake one horror movie i would probably choose oh you're putting me in an interesting position i think i would i kind of want to remake a giallo film so i'm thinking something like deep red i think would make a wonderful modern film um i tend to look if i think of remakes i think of like you know a lot of people like to remake the the really famous ones because they just want to see well there you go like i was saying before like productions it's it's about how much markability is there for this film so you want to use the name and the brand for it but there are so many movies out there that could benefit from it just to get that name popular and try to try it again. Well, okay, Prom Night 2. i would I'm gonna make uh, Prom Night 2 as a musical. Okay, that's, that's I'll,
0: I'll, I will have to <laughs> introduce you to my friend Jody who also loves that movie.
1: <laughs> there you go, yeah, let's, let's, let's meet up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool, uh, so my last question is if you had to spend okay. quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be?
1: If I had to spin it, I think Norman Bates. He just, he looks like he makes a good sandwich. And I don't think uh, he would find me very attractive. So I think it'd be pretty safe. So <laughs> he seems like such a nice guy. And especially, uh, you know, not not Vince Vaughn, Norman Bates. I'm talking Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates, of course. It has to be, yeah, our original. And I think just, you know, sitting around with some taxidermy and, and talking about our childhoods would be a very, uh, just nice quarantine time. Plus the house is huge.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Um, I really learned a lot from listening to you speak about horror in an academic way. Uh, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet?
1: Yes. Uh, well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I, I've also had a blast with this. If you're wanting to follow more of my work, uh, as I mentioned before, you can find my writing at Something Ghoulish. And there's another website by the name of Morbidly Beautiful. I'll write monthly on those. And if you want to see me on social media, uh, on Twitter, I'm pri- yeah, I'm primarily active on Twitter. That's at underscore shockaholic, as one word would be my name there. And every now and then, uh, when I have time for editing and filming, I also like to make uh, YouTube analyses and reviews and stuff uh, under the name shockaholic on YouTube.
0: All right, cool. Um, well, I look forward to doing a virtual tour of your uh, escape room so yes
1: yeah we should definitely talk afterwards for that Uh, another thing of course yes please if you're interested in that go to amsterdamcatacombs.com
0: cool Uh, thank you again
1: yes thank you
0: That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chandler Bullock, and thanks again to Chandler for coming on. I'll leave links to all of his socials below, as well as to the Amsterdam Catacombs, in case you want to take a virtual tour. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. We really appreciate it, as it really helps people find us. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, recommendations, or if you would like to be a guest, shoot us an email at thewhostherepod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and wear a mask.